As I said, we're going to be spending more time, hopefully, in getting in more detail, talking about what the Spirit does in the life of a Christian, because that is his most significant work. It is also his most permanent work. So, um, and more universal. Uh, It applies to everyone equally. So we're going to talk about spiritual life. Some of these things we might have kind of generally covered. We're going to try to get a little bit more specific. So let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 10. And Mike, do you want to read that when we get there? Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 10. I told you that once we got into this, we were going to be in Romans. Every topic, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 somewhere. So, Yep. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those God, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then every, then even through even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So, what are the things connected with the Spirit? What is the Spirit doing? One word. We talked about his main work, right? His primary work is what? Life. That's a a spirit. Any spirit's primary work is life. But we want to see how he's doing it. Um, What is the agency of of life here? He says, even though though your body is going to be subject to death, we're all going to physically die. It doesn't make a difference if you're a Christian or not. The spirit is life because of what? Okay, I've chosen to belong to Christ, but what is it? Through what mechanism does the Spirit give me life? Righteousness. Righteousness. He says the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's his primary, I guess, mechanism. His primary work is life, but the the main way he wants to do that is it's going to be righteousness. Now for us... There's a means by which we get that righteousness, the, the, the how I'm getting acquainted. Obviously, I begin in Christ. I, was, I became a Christian, but, but he talks about the influence. The spirit in me is, is having an influence. And what does it primarily influence? My mind. It's the way I think. He says, the mind set on the flesh 
It's going to serve the flesh. It's going to do what the flesh wants. But the mindset on the spirit is going to do the, the spiritual righteous thing. So, so he's in me to work on my mind. The spirit is not just a, this emotional. When people talk, oh, I'm filled with the spirit. And, and, and they dwell on the emotional effects. We're going to talk about emotional effects. There are emotional side effects and things like that. But he comes in and he first affects the change through the mind. And that is, I think, uh, important. Well, what change of mind? What, what changes in my mind? What things change? He doesn't go into great detail. It's kind of left for us to kind of figure out. Once you become a Christian, you're centered on what God and Christ want. Okay. So more spiritual... Okay, so, so spiritual influences, uh, spiritual being opposite of the flesh. What? Moral. Okay, so, so righteousness has to do with our, our virtues, first of all. Um, in, in what way? What are, well, let's, let's compare physical to spiritual. What ways do we start to think spiritually rather than physically? What what ways did I think? Okay. Okay. There's one. There's one. Revenge. Person. My my personal motives. That's another. What are, what are some other areas? Specific or general? What are some other ways we think spiritually rather than physically? Okay, what things of the flesh? What does that mean? What's some things of the flesh? Okay, so uh, comfort stuff, fun stuff, right? Um, and and comfort doesn't always mean entertainment, but if you think of it like like with your income, once you get to a certain amount of income, it you start thinking about the fun stuff you can do with it, right? Like, like first you're, you, you worry about like, okay, can I afford food this week? Okay. We're, you're in that like survival mode when then, and then you, you're out of survival mode and you're, you start to think about what nice things you can do. And that's, this is not wrong. Right. But, but we just think physically with our, with our money, with anything. So, so we think of, uh, our, uh, advantages that we can have, life advantages. This would make my life easier. I'll do this. Oh, this is nice. This is pleasant. This is nice looking. I want this decoration. I want those are things that will all go away when we're in a tight spot. So, so that's that's a physical way of thinking. We we kind of look at our money and we think, oh, physical things that money can do for me. Yep. Money itself is is just money. You can think spiritually with it. You can think physically with it. What's oh, another one? Okay. Okay. Our relationships. And what we do in those relationships. We can think physically or we can think spiritually. Yep. 
We're going to do these. Again, it goes back to the fun things. Let's, let's go hang out. Let's do it. And those things aren't wrong. But we can dwell exclusively physically in those things and not think spiritually like, is this a relationship that is going to long-term benefit me? Is this a thing that this person is going to promote a good behavior? Or are they doing, or does this group seem to be going this direction? So relationships. Okay. Okay, time. Right? Some of our, our, um, our commodities are not merely financial. Any type of those uh, commodities, it can be financial, it can be security related, it can be time. My possessions beyond just just the, the bank account number, but, but the possessions, those, those are times and, and things that, that, that can occupy our mind physically. Um, the way we measure the importance of things, I think, we, we tend to measure by physical, tangible um, variables. And, and like we, those are the things that we well, this is important. Why? Because of what it will do for me. This will earn me a promotion. This will, you know, benefit my physical life in some tangible way. We, we tend to value things that way. And, and a lot of these, you'll notice, are also, again, we, we've, I've mentioned this before, but they're, they're very short-term. We look very short-term. We, we tend not to look long-term. It's just our, our tendency. Uh, we can get, and, and some of these are, are, are valuable. I don't, I don't want to, they're not that they're bad, but they are physical, and we need to understand the difference between those. We can look at purpose things, right? Man is always... Ask the question, like, what is my purpose? That's a, that's a human desire. And, and it's put there by God. But we, a lot of times, answer that with physical means, right? My education or my influence. Uh, what, how am I changing life? I want to make a difference. And, and those questions, a lot of times, are answered through a physical means. What I'm influencing in a physical way. My advancement, like we talked about my relationships, all these identifiers and, and, and purpose-driven things can be answered exclusively physically in, instead of saying, what am I influencing? What are my relationships? What are all these things spiritually down the road? Uh, so, so this is spiritual life. Uh, we could get into that as deep as we wanted. Uh, we're going to skip to another topic. We're going to spend a little bit more. So in the life of a Christian, we, I think we, uh, maybe I should have put these backwards, but um, I kind of wanted to begin with Romans 8, just because it seems to influence every area. Uh, so let's talk about uh, salvation, right? Uh, so, so he says, the, the Spirit says you're alive because of righteousness, because of what the Spirit does. And so let's look at the things that the Spirit does as we begin our journey as Christians. Uh, <clears throat> Kim, you want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 
And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so, so he's given a long list of the things the Gentiles did. I just kind of kind of shorten up the text. He's, a long list of all the things that they looked down on the Gentiles for. And he goes, oh, by the way, you Jews used to do these things too. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified also. Um, so um, there was this feeling that they were, they were better than everybody else. Romans kind of talks about this a little bit. Uh, but he says, you're washed, justified, and sanctified. And these are not synonyms. What does he mean you are washed by the Spirit? What is that reference to? What's that? Okay, so, so we can't escape the reference to the, the, the metaphorical connection to baptism. But he's not referring to, I mean, it, it is an event that occurs in water baptism, but, but he's not, I wasn't washed by the water. <laughs> There's a, there's a verse that talks about the washing of the water with the word and things like that. But he focuses on something else happening. Another washing that's occurring simultaneously. It's the washing of the Spirit. What is the Spirit then washing? Your inside spirit mind. Okay. All right. So, so it's interesting. We talk... When we talk about being washed, we talk about being washed. I mean, the physical connection to water baptism is, is, is obviously there. We usually reference one other thing. Washed by what? Blood. We always focus on that, and when we should. And this is what we go back all the way back to when we talk about God as these three entities, however they work together, they're always, whatever they're doing, they're all involved in some way. And so the washing of me is not something exclusively that Christ does. The Spirit is also involved in washing some elements, some, some aspect of, of cleansing me. I don't know how they divide it up, and I don't know specifically what the mechanism is, the mechanics of it all. But they're all involved. So I, I found that uh, to be a remarkable verse. Uh, <clears throat> so he says then, okay, so, so we move up to justified. He says you're justified by the Spirit. What does that mean? What is justification? Yes, it is. You're right. He's not saying you're getting justice because you're getting the exact opposite of justice. Forgiven. Okay, forgiven. So justification, though, is a legal word. Justification means a bunch of things. Justification means a lot of things depending on the context. But it has something to do with justice. Um, you ever heard? Is it? Yes, Mike. I think of justification, it's more of, well, that action 
whatever your actions were might have been questionable. However, like you said you've been you're whenever you're justified in doing something, there's there's an exception where you are you're okay now. You yes, you did. Okay. Explains. Okay. It comes from the Latin word that means to make right. Okay. To make right, and it is a lot. Of, so, so we there's there's ways we use this. We say, oh, you're just justifying yourself. Right? You ever heard something? We say that all the time. When now we typically mean you're not justified in doing it, but you're trying to give a good excuse. But you're not justified. Right? You're not legally acceptable. You're not. It's not made right. You're just justifying it. Um, Being made legitimate. Yeah, to make to make legitimate. I was like, I always find, I don't know how they got this. I don't know why they did this. But if you go into, you're in uh, Microsoft Office, and I hate the text where on the right side, and just, it's my OCD, I, I hate paragraphs and that, that do this. And you click that little middle one, the one at the end, and it goes, whoosh, and they're all perfect. Oh, like, I can look at my screen now. It's like, oh. It's justified. It's it's made right. right? That that's how I see it. And and uh, th- that's kind of the idea. God just like puts things where it's supposed to be, and He says, "Now I can look at it. it it's made right. It, it's not that I was right, but it's kind of along the lines of being acquitted. But God sometimes acquits what shouldn't be acquitted." That's the idea of what the Holy Spirit did. It's not justice. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't right. But God says, oh, this is all crooked. I'm going to have to hit the button and and go, you're good now. For me, you're good now. Somebody said that you can think of it as, from God's point of view, it's just as if I'd never done it. Yes. Yes. I, I, I like that. It's a good remember. It's just as if you'd never done it. Just as if I'd never sinned. Hey. God does it. It's an action God does. And it, it's an action that we see that <clears throat> the Holy Spirit does. So he says, I'm washed, I'm justified, and now what? Sanctified. Different word. And I want to read a lot on these topics. Read Romans. Romans is heavy on justification and includes a lot on sanctification as well. What does it mean to be Sanctified. To be made holy. That's the word. To be made holy. So, so in a moral sense, it applies. What else? What else does, uh, does it mean? Sanctify. Set apart. Set apart. Well, why would you set something apart? What does that mean? Okay. So, so this is the word. Yes, Mark. Okay. You are no longer a part of that group that is condemned. Yes. We, we are, we're called saints, right? Same word. It means the, the called out, the, the, the separated. That's the word saint. And it doesn't mean a special person that a church voted on and said this is a really super, super special guy. We're all saints. If God has, if the Holy Spirit has sanctified you, then you are a saint. It means holy. It means any time in the Bible you read that, that they were appointed, right? Uh, they would appoint elders. That literally means 
set apart. They were sanctified for a purpose. They were, set, they were given a job. So sometimes it refers to that. Any, any type of putting in a special place. Uh, for a mission, for a local purpose, for whatever the thing is. Here, it's for a life. It's, it's for an entire life thing that God is setting us apart for. The Holy Spirit specifically setting me apart for a life that is different. I've called you out of that life. Here's a new life. Be different. That is washed, justified, and sanctified. And we're going to get back to an idea that we talked about in, in spiritual life. Uh, <clears throat> Glenn, you want to read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay, so, so this is one of those verses that we can kind of get bogged down in. Uh, he wasn't talking about God saying, all right, you, right there, you're going to be a Christian. You, you're out of luck. Right? That's not what this is talking about. He's talking about sanctifying a group of people or, or setting apart now the Gentiles. He, he made a selection and said, okay, Gentiles, this is now your turn. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you in and setting you apart from, from the world. Uh, there was a point in time where that hadn't been the case. And we talked about that previously. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But what is the means through which the Spirit does that? What was it that got them different? I mean, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit working through what? Belief in what? The truth. We talked about how he works through the mind. That's where he begins. It's not where he ends, but it's where he begins with people. He's, he's got to work with the ideas that we have. That's how you, you change the, the way you live. The, the way you live, all the decisions you make, everything that forms your life are all based on the things you think, and the things you don't know you think, but you think, like assumptions, we call them assumptions. You get up every day, you, you, you go through life on a series of assumptions. You might not be actively thinking these things, but they are thoughts that form the way you live and do. They're just assumptions. You don't even consciously know that they're there. And God has to change the way we think. He has to change the information, the assumptions that we have, the everything, to to get us to be different. That's how I'm sanctified. Right? I'm washed, but, but now God says, I, I've, that's wonderful, that addresses your past. But we've got to have a different future, and the only way to get a different future that's not going to have me going right back to where I was is to change the assumptions and the information. Otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's muscle memory. 
right? You're just going to be right back there. Why? Because I haven't changed, you know, the, I haven't changed the equations. Those equations will take me right back. So, um, so he works through a belief in the truth. I like this one. And these are all different elements of salvation and kind of beginning that new life. Uh, Dave, you want to read Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. We talk about this in Romans 8, but we're just going to pick this one. Galatians 4, 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent from the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Okay, so, so we... Uh, both here and in Romans 8, he'll talk about the spirit of adoption. What is adoption? What is the spirit of adoption? What do you think of when you think of adoption? Making a child that wasn't yours, now yours. Okay. So, I, I had done some research, and I've mentioned this before, that childhood adoption is not what's referred to. Actually, historically, child adoption wasn't practiced until about Civil War era that we know of. And so you had a massive amount of orphans. And they used to put them on orphan trains and tour the country and hope that people would, for benevolent purposes, take care of these kids. Uh, the, the government country was poor, didn't have money for orphanages and stuff, so there's, this is where foster care and where child adoption began. So um, before that, they practiced what was called adult adoption. Now, why in the world would you adopt an adult? That's weird. To have an heir. To have an heir. I have all this stuff. Well, it's not going to do me any good in a few years because I'm going to kick the bucket. And I never had a kid. Who is Julius Caesar's son? Come on, Gabe. Who's Julius Caesar's son? Octavian. Octavian. Why is he his son? He was adopted. He was adopted as his nephew. He adopted a nephew. I'm like, what if you're the real parents? Like, what do you mean you're going to adopt? Well, I'm Julius Caesar. I'm going to adopt your kid. I said so. I don't have an heir. But they go... Hey, sweet, my line is going to be a part of the official line. So they're, they're kind of cool with it. My, my kid's going to be rich. <laughs> we do beneficiaries. Right, okay. So, so, so there are. I actually know someone who was adopted as an adult. They were adopted as an adult because they're going to have to go back to Ukraine. And someone here in the United States adopted them so they could get, get through the legal loopholes and stay here and finish college. It was kind of a weird idea. An adult adoption. Right? So, so it, but this was why. It was for inheritance. And God says, I've, now in his case, he's done it for both things. It's benevolent, it, it, but it's also for an inheritance. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have lots of heirs. I want lots of heirs. And the unique thing being in this case, he already had what we refer to as the only begotten son. And he says, I'm still going to adopt. <laughs> it, it defies every idea what God does. So, uh, so there's this adoption. So in a general sense, the Holy Spirit is now 
the one that kind of makes this happen. He's the one that fosters this relationship between us and the Father. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Barry, you want to read that? Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Does anybody have a different word? Uh, other than, I think it's renewal is the is a different. It, it's a good word. It's fine. Regeneration. regeneration. I like that word. What is regeneration? What? So, okay. What is it in biology? Grows back. Like a salamander. Starfish, I think octopi do it. I'm not sure, but like they lose the limb, comes back. Not that fast, but it, like that's regeneration. He says, uh, "This is what the Holy Spirit does. Is is something that's degraded, but it's something that you're missing. It's something that you you've gotten rid of." And God says, "I can bring it back." It was, it was gone. I did, like, my spiritual life, all whatever, I was made pure. God makes me pure. And then, and then I've degraded it. I've gotten rid of it. And God says, watch this. I'm going to bring it back as good as it was. Just like it was. Just as if I'd never sinned. And that regeneration. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration. So there's all these different ways of looking at what the Spirit does in salvation. We're going to close um, this section out with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Benjamin, why don't you read that? 1 Peter 1, 22. Okay, so what is the Holy Spirit? What does he do here? Purifies. Purifies. They're all really related. They're all similar. He purifies um, through the Spirit. For what purpose? For what purpose? Or in what? What is he trying to accomplish? How does this happen? He talks about an important word. Obedience. It is a, it, it, he's setting the precedent for the life that we're going to have. And this is where, where what God has done to my past and what God is going to do in my future through the Holy Spirit all really relate to one each other. They connect. Well, it required obedience. The Holy Spirit did it, but it required obedience. Guess what? This is a, this is a, 
past is kind of a key to the future kind of a thing where where guess what? The reason that's done is he's purifying. It is so that I can continue to obey. The, he, didn't, he didn't just say, well, you've got to obey for this moment. And then it's, you know, okay, go back to life as normal. No, that's then, then we're changing the mind to do what? To change the behavior, to set me apart from those things. Because this is, I have a lifetime of obedience that I want. So we're going to begin with obedience. We're going to see, warm you up to the idea this is how it works. This is how you're becoming it. This is what you can expect in the future. If I can't begin in obedience, then, you know, then there's no reason to, to pursue a lifetime of obedience. And so it's beginning uh, the journey. And what behavior does he start with? He says, oh, we're going to. We're going to do all this obedience and all this changing. And what he starts with one thing. What character? Love. Starts with the greatest thing. Let's start with the big one. Love. There's a lot more to go. But he starts with the, the primary character that he wants to form in mankind. So, so let's... Um, I think we will hold off on the next section um, till till next week because we're, we're going to start talking about the righteous influences. We start in love, and that's not certainly not where we're going to end, but we're going to get a lot deeper in that. So, any thoughts as we close? Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you for your input.